seems that we were just there. But still more to talk about, I think. Uh, I have a new Bible. And so I'm going to be reading to you from my new Bible. Now, I'm going to be kind of, I'm not sure how, it's the New American Standard 2020, by the way. Um, so it's a little different. It's a little bit more language. I think it's more readable. Now, I'm probably going to read the main text from the New American Standard and keep going back to the New King James as it, when I go to other verses. So I'm going to kind of go between two of them. Uh, the New American Standard 2020 and the New King James are very similar. There, there's a few variations. The, the New American Standard uh, is still using a little bit, well, not still, it is now using a little bit more um, reader-friendly language, a little bit. Most of the word, there's a lot, of, a lot of it's very, very much the same. And so, but I found it interesting because I compared, I, I, you know, at least I get interested in this kind of stuff. I started comparing the New American Standard, the New King James, and the uh, English Standard Version, and then I went to the uh, Greek. And um, from what I can tell that um, they've really done a good job. Now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily qualified probably to say that, uh, although I guess I could say I am qualified to say that I'm satisfied with with the work they've done, and just for fun. And of course, I didn't tell this to Mary, but one of her former pastors was actually on the, one of the translation group, I think in the Old Testament for the New American Standard. So they just came out with it. Um, I've been, been kind of wanting to full, you know, uh, work with um, different uh, translations. Um, newer text, and, uh, but other than that, and it's, it, uh, it's pretty much... Uh, the same translation. But you'll be able to pick up a little bit of differences even as I read to you in Romans chapter 5, uh, looking at the first five verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we celebrate, the New King James would say glory, we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also celebrate, the New King James would say glory, all right? We celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. Because our hope that does not disappoint, excuse me, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Lord, we'd ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look again at this passage, as we consider that which you have for us this morning. There is so much here, so I pray that you would help us to to receive from you that which you desire to specifically speak to us. And Lord, help me uh, to know where, where and when to focus on this incredible passage. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. We looked at some of this on Wednesday night. And... Uh, 
talked about because we've been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, verse 2, we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. So I thought it was interesting that, it, that the term here is used, this grace. Not just grace, but this grace. Um, this is about the third time that the word grace appears. Actually, the fourth time uh, that the word grace appears in the book of Romans. It appears six times in this particular chapter. And the word grace appears 25 times in the book of Romans. So, uh, Paul is going to emphasize this idea of grace even more. And, and this is kind of, uh, while he didn't completely define it, of course in chapter 4 he did talk about grace as well. But while he's not really defining grace here, he is cueing us in that this is an area that he's going to spend more time talking about. He's going to talk about this grace that we have been introduced to by faith. This idea of unmerited favor, getting something good when you do not deserve it. Particularly, you could say it means getting something good when you really deserve something not good. Um, but being, having this, this um, form of God's love lavished upon you in the sense of giving you favor. The book of uh, Genesis in the old King James, it talks about Noah who uh, found favor with God. The new King James would translate that same word um, grace. Noah found grace in the eyes with God. And so this idea, and, and I'm not, we're not really quite there yet to talk a whole lot about grace, but we're, we're going to jump into it more and more. Again, six times in this particular chapter. But through our faith in Jesus Christ, we have obtained our introduction into this grace in which we stand. Remember, I, I brought out the idea that the, the grammar in the Greek, standing is something we do, but we do so based on the fact that God has given us unmerited favor. In other words, the power, the ability to stand is given to us by God, but we have to appropriate it. Right? We have to appropriate it. We have to receive it. We have to put ourselves in in the place where we are receiving from God. Now, uh, even in saying that, that's that that, and I don't really have a lot of time to jump into this this morning. But even in saying this, the reality is is that we get a whole lot of grace all the time that we probably are not even aware of. And there is this doctrinal idea called common grace that James talks about when he says that the rain falls upon the just and the unjust alike. And I think about that every time I wake up and I hear the rain falling uh, outside. Uh, it, is, it is another sign, at least to me, another sign of God's provisional grace. God's provisional grace that he gives to each of us because without the rain, this place is a wasteland. And we're moving up to Alaska or somewhere, you know, I mean. But, but it, it is part of God's grace. And yet that 
grace that develops us, sustains us, grows us, draws us, is something that I believe that we have to put ourselves in a place where we avail ourselves to be recipients of that grace. Does that make sense? Even though we're still getting God's grace all the time. So, we have been given this introduction into this grace by which we stand and we celebrate. Now, the King James, excuse me, the New King James says we glory in hope of the glory of God, right? So, what's interesting about that is even though in the New King James you have the word glory three times in this little section, it's actually two different Greek words. So when we talk about the glory of God, and we talked on this a little bit last week, and I wanted to develop this a little bit more, but kind of got sidetracked. But anyway, um, first of all, where it says the glory of God in verse 2. Now, not where we glory in the hope, but the glory of God. Okay, that is the word doxa. If you're going to spell that in English, it's D-O-X-A. It refers to a state of being. When we talk about glory and the glory of God, it refers to, the, to a state of being. And, 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 and actually, it, it, it can be, um, the condition, if you will, is this being bright or shining. That would be the, the physical way to describe this, being bright or shining, or something that is splendor, or something that is radiant. And there was something that you probably need sunglasses to look at. That would be one way to, to consider this word and what, what it means in the Greek doxa. But it, it can also be physical uh, where um, Paul in Acts twenty two eleven when he's talking about where Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and he was blinded, he basically says, I could not see because of the brightness of the light. It's the same word here, the doxa of the light, the glory of the light, the, 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 that brightness, so he was blinded by the light of the presence of Christ in his life. It can also be a spiritual glory. It, it, it talks about us in, in, in our, our encounters with God. It talks about angels in this fashion. It also talks about this idea of our state. Once we are in heaven, we will be partakers of his glory. Now, the second word that we have here for glory Well, actually, I want to keep going on this first word for a second. This word doxa is consistent with the Hebrew word kabod, which is K-A-B-O-D. Interesting word. I probably read more about this than you probably even care. But I'm going to share parts of it with you. Kabod, K-A-B-O-D. It literally means the weightiness or the heaviness of something. It can mean the hardness. It is used of all places to describe in the book of Exodus, Pharaoh, when he hardened his heart. Which to me, that fascinates me. Because there is that human kabod, that human weightiness, that that human hardness or there is that spiritual, godly weightiness or sense of glory. 
In other words, why did, why did, why did Pharaoh harden his heart? What is, the, what is, the, what is the, the, the language implying in the book of Exodus? Why did, why did Pharaoh harden his heart? Because he wanted the weightiness for himself. Instead of glorifying God, he wanted to glorify himself. That's, that's what the language, I believe, is very strongly implying here. And, and so we read in Psalm 145, verse 5, on the glorious splendor, now this is out of the uh, New American Standard as well, but on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Boy, that's a verse to look at. On the glorious splendor of your majesty. What is the glorious splendor of your majesty? I'm not going to unpack that, but I'm going to leave that at your doorstep this morning. The glorious splendor of the majesty of God and his wonderful works. I will meditate. Do you think about those? Do you give them thought? The psalmist said he did. In other words, what the psalmist is declaring here in 145 is that he's taking his devotional life into a different realm. And part of prayer, which again I would submit to you is also an event, it is also a life, but part of the life of prayer is to think on these things, to meditate on the, on the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of God. And so, that is the word glory here in this little passage. But you also have that, that second word where, in, again, the New American Standard, it's translated celebrate. In, in vo- verse 2, it's actually translated rejoice in the New King James Version. It's celebrate, or it's translated uh, in, the, in the verse 3 in, um, as glory. And it's a different word. Remember I talked about this on Wednesday night. It really refers to doing what? Boasting. It refers to boasting. It it refers to being proud of something. Now, there can be boasting or pride in a good way. You've got to be careful with it. Because what's one of the most, well... My opinion, you, your mileage may vary. I think one of the most deadly pride, forms of pride is spiritual pride. And I've seen a lot of people that I've felt have succumbed to it. But it's interesting in this word because it, it's, it's in the, it's, it can be translated as either middle or passive. It fits in a kind of a middle passive voice, one or the other. Okay, middle voice. The subject is being affected by their own action. In other words, when we celebrate, when we rejoice, when we are glorying in God, we are, we, we are experiencing this feeling. We're being affected by our own actions. But it can also be celebra- or translated as passive. In other words, as we recognize and boast in the things of God, then therefore God gives us that sense of satisfaction and joy. And that's why they went with rejoice uh, in the New King James on this. It's a very full word is what I'm trying to bring out to you. 
that when we think and meditate, back to Psalm 145 again, when we meditate on the glorious splendor of God and his wondrous works, then I believe that the Spirit of God comes alongside of us and kind of communes with us. Not kind of, he communes with us. Now, is he with you all the time? Is he with you all the time? You guys are awake, right? Is he with you? All, thank you. Is he with you all the time? Yeah, thank you. Yes, he's with you all the time. For goodness sake, you better be. I always get him confused about omnipresent. Is he omnipresent? There it is. I got it right. He's always with us. But I think that when we spend time with him and set aside purposely time to be with him, that there is a way in which he kind of gives us a little bit more of an illumination of who he is. The, these are on dimmers, right? I kind of dimmed them down a little bit this morning. I don't know if you noticed or not. But these are on dimmers. We can brighten them or we can darken them. And when we seek to spend time with the Lord, I believe he turns the dimmer up. Does that make sense? And we interpret that as now God is being closer to me. Well, God is always close to you. But has he given you eyes to see and ears to hear? So those are, again, using the new King James, those are the two glories or the word glory twice in this particular passage. Two different words, slightly different things. Think about glorying. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, I referred to it briefly, I think on Wednesday, as Paul is speaking, and he says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Try that one on for size. Think about it a second. Are you willing to boast in your weaknesses so that the power of Christ? May dwell in you? See, because what Paul is saying by that statement is he's taking our value system and he's flipping it right side up. when he writes passages like he does here in Romans 5, which we have not even jumped into yet, he's taking our value system, our sense of ethos or ethic, our calling, the way in which we are to pursue not only the things of God, but let's take it a step deeper, the way in which we are to pursue God. And he's doing it in a very different way than either you or I not only could imagine, but probably doing it in a very different way than you or I would prefer. Glory in your weaknesses? That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. 
Actually, that sounds kind of uh, humiliating. And there are times I'm okay if you do it, but don't ask me to do it, right? But we celebrate in hope. In other words, we boast in hope of the glory of God. There's a play on words here that let me, let me just bring out to you. In verse 3 where it says, we also celebrate or glory in our tribulations. Verse 5 says, hope does not disappoint. Or even in verse 2 where it says that we celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 5 says, hope does not disappoint. So we can boast in the hope that we have in God. Because if we do, that hope will not disappoint us. That word can refer to bringing us to shame. Those are, do you see the polar opposites in that? That hope will not bring us to shame. Now this is where it gets tricky because we are now going to talk about this idea of celebrating in our, or celebrating, glorying in our tribulations. And as I, as I thought about this passage, I thought this is one of the ways by which God grows his children. This is one of the ways by which God instills in you hope. You, don't, you just don't wake up with it. Just like you don't wake up a fully mature believer, whatever that is. I, I remember talking to a woman and she was, she was such, she in such a knot. She'd been sober two days. And I, I essentially told her, don't try to quit trying to have the sobriety that I have. It's taken me over 30 years to get here. You want to get there in two days? Seriously? See, we always want that shortcut. That's what our culture tells us to do. Now, especially in this bit with tribulations, and I get real uncomfortable talking about it because I feel like that when you, I think there has to be a balance when we read this particular passage that it's not whatever happens, you just receive it and just lay down and become a doormat, all right? If you have an issue in your life, you need to deal with it, whatever that is, and you all know what we're talking about, Okay. But we celebrate the tribulations. That's what this passage is telling us. And what this is telling us.
weakness is not only that we celebrate in our tribulations, but knowing that our tribulations bring about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. So if you want to have some hope in your life, this is how it gets there. It's not real encouraging. But it's truthful. It is the way of the cross. It is the way of what Jesus said that if anyone come after him, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow him. You see, and when I mentioned last week about the, the moral the moral person who attends church really isn't really a Christian compared to someone who is walking in newness of life. This is newness of life. This is our calling. Celebrating in the tribulations. Having the serenity, I believe, to change the things you can and not change or and not try to change the things you can't and the wisdom to know the difference. But this is our kingdom construct. This is how God deals with us and how God sanctifies us. You don't get there unless you go through trials. You don't really have a hope that is kindled deeply in your heart until you go through trials first. This word tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces, right? This word tribulation talks about trouble that inflicts distress. Trouble that inflicts distress. Trouble that brings about oppression. Trouble that brings about affliction. It's talking about real, in-your-face opposition. Now I'm going to be trite because I don't, I don't really want to step on toes. I want people to have ears this morning. It's not talking about when your favorite television show gets canceled. Now I know that none of you feel that way. I understand that. But I'm, I'm using, you know, you fill in your own blank. Because sometimes I look at my life and I'm thinking, is this really just a, a trial or is this something that God is trying to, to, to uh, form out of my life? And Paul says here that we celebrate them. And Paul must be absolutely out of his mind. Good, I got your attention. Or that there is something happening spiritually that transforms us in these situations. One or the other. We celebrate in the tribulation because knowing 
knowing, trusting, having the already already the hope is starting to build because when I go through the tribulation, I recognize that it's going to bring about some form of perseverance in my life. Unless I just say, I'm done with all this. And I will tell you this, I don't care how well you hang on. I just care that you hang on. And there are times you're going to hang on well, and there are times you're going to hang on by the skin of your teeth. But for goodness sake, as long as you're hanging on, in that process, in that cleaving, that's where your perseverance begins to be developed. When you go through those times where I don't want to do this anymore, I do not want to do this anymore, I can't do this anymore, why in the world am I doing this continually, and yet you still hang on to the Lord in some way, some shape, some fashion? And there have been times, and I'll clean it up for you, but there have been times that I've said to the Lord, Lord, I hate this. absolutely hate this and I'm tired of it and I'm angry but I'm still here be angry and sin not and do not let the sun go down upon your wrath But sometimes learning to deal with your anger first is, and foremost is at least admitting it to God. And some people who seem to have that latent anger underneath them that they're a powder keg and all of a sudden they just explode, sometimes it's because they haven't dealt with their anger before God. Because we do not want God to teach us perseverance. We want God to get us over the hump and everything to be good again. And then leave me alone and I'll see you on Sunday. But God has called us to walk much closer than that. Which means at times, tribulation that we are to celebrate so that we might have perseverance. That means endurance, this power to withstand the hardship, a steadfastness. I think it's the the, the 20th century New Testament refers to this as strength of character. And this, guys, ladies, is the way of the kingdom. This is what it means to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This is kingdom living. This is newness of life. This isn't religious people who come to church every so often but do not have a relationship or do not maybe not have much of a relationship with the Lord God of heaven.
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Tribulations bring about perseverance. And then perseverance brings about proven character. I think that the New King James says character in this one, but the translation from the Greek, proven character, is actually a better, I believe, a better translation because it talks about a person's character who has been in the fire and has been tried and has been seasoned by the difficulties and the trials of life where you either go absolutely out of your mind mad or you learn to have some perseverance, one of the two. To be honest with you, I, 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 I trust people more so when they've gone through the trials and the, diffi- and the rough roads of life than, than people who've always lived on a smooth highway. People who've gone through the boulders and the rocky places and, and, and having to put that thing in four-wheel drive to try to navigate and get through the path. This word in the Greek refers to a testing process. Referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 2 as the, the great, great trials of affliction that Paul talked about. And it also refers to having been deemed dependable. having been deemed faithful. There's a... Don't I think where I want to go with this? Sometimes I think we under... undervalue the, 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 the virtue of faithfulness. And I think at times we don't recognize what it takes for you and I to get to that place of faithfulness in our lives. Because we are called to celebrate in the tribulations that it, those tribulations will produce perseverance in our life. And when we have learned to persevere, we become pers- a person who is a proven character. In other words, we're trustworthy. We're faithful. We can be things that we as other people can entrust to you and things that the Lord can entrust to you as well. And when your character has been proven, where you become a person of proven character, the byproduct or the result of that or the fruit of that is a sense of hope. Hope is not a superficial optimism. You ever talk to people where you, they're, 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 and it, uh, you can tell that that's all it is, just a bunch of superficial optimistic nonsense? It irritates me, to be honest with you. Because if you ever confront them, what do you normally get? You get, uh-uh, right? 
It's okay to laugh, all right? Get some of the tension out of the room, man. This is a tense, this is a tense passage. It's not superficial optimism. But it is a confident assurance of that which will surely come to pass. It's a way of distinguishing people who have kept the faith through times of severe testing. It is one of the three things that will abide, faith, hope, and love. Now, often we want to jump to, yes, the greatest is love. And yeah, I know that, but we're not talking about love this morning. We're talking about hope. It's one of the three things that will abide. One of the three Christian virtues. This idea of not a superficial optimism, but a confident assurance that things will come to pass. Because our hope, it tells us, does not disappoint. The English Standard Version says, well, the hope does not put us to shame or will not be put to shame. Excuse me, will we'll not put us to shame. Anyway, you get the idea. The context here is that when we hope in the promises of God, because we have celebrated the tribulations that we go through that produce perseverance, that demonstrate that we have a proven character, that produces hope in us. And when we hope in the promises of God, we will not feel like an idiot for having done so. Because he's faithful. And some of those things may not even be fulfilled in our lifetime here on earth. But we can trust that way that they will be fulfilled. We can trust that the promises of God are sure. He's given us that hope. But to really truly give us that hope in a way that we own it heart, mind, and soul. We go through tribulation that produces perseverance. That develops in us a proven character. Because hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In a sense, what this is saying, in a sense, is that reward of hope is that fresh awareness of God's love for us. 
It, and Paul will talk about this later in Romans 8 when he asks that incredible question, who then can separate us from the love of God? That whole passage is written based on hope. A confident assurance, not a um, superficial optimism. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. Ephesians 1 talks about the Holy Spirit being a earnest or the down payment of that which is to come. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us, bearing witness with our spirit that we are his. God's love being poured out. I, I love that illustration. I'm running out of time. I may go back to this a little bit on Wednesday. But, but God's love being poured out on us. Within our hearts. That innermost being of who we are. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we were willing to sit through the tribulation that would produce in us perseverance. Perseverance that makes us a person of proven character that gives us a sense of hope. And then with the love of God being poured out in our hearts, it gives me enough strength to go through the next round. Because there'll be a next round. I wish there weren't. But not only... Not only is this how God works in our lives, but God uses the fact that we live in a very broken and sinful world as a way to develop us as well. So it isn't like the, the, the Trinity has this holy huddle and said, okay, they did really good on that one. What are we going to do to them next? But I call it the economy of God. That he uses the things of this broken world as means to shape us and to conform us in the image of Jesus Christ. Because essentially, again, this is the construct of the kingdom of God. This is what we signed up for when we said yes to Jesus. Now, we might not have known that. The reality is you're going to go through a whole lot. People who don't know Jesus go through a whole lot of this anyway, do they not? Of course they do. But we have been given a hope that will not disappoint. Because one day, we'll see him. As he is. Today, I hope you see him as he is. Because he is our hope. The political left is not your hope. The political right is not your hope. Jesus 
is your hope. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That is kingdom calling. That is kingdom ethos. That is kingdom lifestyle. And that is what and who we have been called to be. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your great faithfulness. We'd ask, Lord, that you would burn these truths in our heart this morning that when, when the trials do come that we will have confidence in the work of your spirit. Lord, I'd, I'd ask that as we go for each of us here this morning that hope would not disappoint and that you would pour the love of God within our hearts by your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray that you would continue to do that work in us and continue to do that work through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you guys.